This is the Growing Up Rock Podcast with your host, Stephen Michael. Now, crank it up. Another short bonus episode of the Grown Up Rock Podcast, we bring you a conversation with Bon Jovi guitarist Phil X. Phil took over duties for Richie Sambor in 2011, 2013, and 2015. Now he's become a permanent member of the band. He made his album debut with Bon Jovi on 2018's This House Is Not For Sale. Phil X is a brilliant guitar player and a pretty damn good singer in his own right. He made a name for himself as a studio musician long before he was even in Bon Jovi. Phil has had a band called Phil X and the Drills since 2003 that has regularly released new material. They have a new album completed called Stupid Good Looking Volume 2, which will be released in the near future on Golden Robot Records, featuring a different drummer on every song which reads like a who's who of drummers. He's got guys like Tommy Lee, Liberty DeVito, Kenny Arnoff, and Ray Luzier. The music promises to be pretty damn diverse. The band consists of Phil X on guitar and vocals, Daniel Spree on bass and backing vocals, and our old friend Brent Fitz on drums and backing vocals. The band went into Capitol Studios with Chris Lord Algie, so Chris could do a mix with the Masters Masterclass on how to track the band. So the first single, Right on the Money, uh, was one of the first songs recorded that particular day. You'll hear that song a little bit later on in the show. I hope you enjoy this chat with Phil X as we touch on some of his time with Bon Jovi. But because a lot of people, I'm sure, want to talk to him about the whole Bon Jovi thing, I wanted to focus on a few other things. So I wanted to really talk to him about his time in Triumph and some of his session work that he's done along the way. He's played with some really huge artists in different sessions. Uh, I also wanted to talk to him more about his band, The Drills, because they've put out some pretty good music straight ahead almost a punk ACDC power pop vibe, some really good stuff there. Uh, So dig it. I hope you enjoy this conversation with Phil X. Take it from here, Phil. Hey man, it's Phil X and you're listening to Growing Up Rock. I'm having a little chat with Stephen Michael here. Woo! Stinking garbage outside 
Welcome to the Growing Up Rock podcast, Bill X. Growing Up Rock, man. I, I th- feel like I've been talking about that all day. <laughs> I grew up rock, man. I totally did. Anybody that listens to the stuff that we listen to all grew up rock, and that's what our show is all about. Awesome. Love it. So you've been a pretty busy guy, and I want to get to the latest Phil X and the Drills music, but before I do that, I'd like to bounce around on a few of your highlights throughout your career, if that's okay with you. Yeah, man, shoot. Let's start with this record I recently discovered personally in the Triumph catalog, Edge of Excess, the only Triumph album not to feature Rick Emmett. I grew up a Triumph fan, but for whatever reason, I lost track somewhere after Sport of Kings. This album I recently discovered for the show, and it's freaking killer. I love it. What can you tell us about your time in Triumph and this album and tour? You know, I um, it was crazy. It was a crazy time in my life. I was in my early 20s. So I, I saw the Sport of Kings tour. And if you remember, they had a fourth guy on the road with them, and his name was Rick Sanders, Mm -hmm. who was another Canadian rocker, killer singer, killer guitar player, and great dude. So it was funny that I was at a Q107, which was Toronto's rock station. I was a Q107 Christmas party, and I met Mike Levine. And Mike came up to me, and he goes, hey, you're a Philex. And I'm like, yeah, man, how you doing? He goes, I'm doing good. I go, I hear you You guys are looking for a guitar player. Have you guys uh, had any luck? And he said, well, everybody that I talk to says that we should get you. <laughs> and I was like, I froze. I was like, I didn't even think I was in that, uh, in that ballpark. So um, I'm like, wow, that's interesting. And he goes, yeah, man, so if you ever want to have a sit down and talk, we could uh, – we can meet at Metalworks and we can chat. So it was Gil that called me and said, hey, come to the Metalworks. We need to talk. And I had, in 1990, I'd committed to at least a six-month tour with Aldo Nova. Okay. Gil was like, hey, we want you to be in Triumph. And I was like, dude, uh, that sounds exciting, but I just committed to this tour and I can't walk away. Was this the Blood on the Bricks tour? Exactly. Okay. So, and the band didn't even play on the record. It was Aldo Nova. Kenny Aaron up on drums, Randy Jackson on bass, uh-huh. who Aldo dubbed the love god. And uh, <laughs> that was the core of the band. And then he needed a band, and he got in touch t- uh, with me through some other guys that he knew. And then uh, I pulled in uh, my buddy Tim Harrington on bass and uh, another buddy on keys. And why is that name escaping me? Bertolo, Howie, Howie Bertolo. Yeah. So anyway, so we became the band, and... The thing is, is, it was one of those things, the industry was really tricky at that time because people wanted to support Aldo Nova. So his first single came out, Blood on the Bricks, and got 100 and, I don't know, 130 ads the first week, which is crazy at radio. But then when the single, single, second single came out, so did Pound Cake by Van Halen and Enter Sandman by Metallica. So it just got drowned in that in that wall of rock well i'll tell you not to make this an aldo nova conversation but i worked at a record distributor at the time and they invited me to this sort of pre-release party and aldo was there aldo was the only one there and i went to this party i met aldo and autographed a promo picture for me and 
I heard it was a listening party. So I heard the record for the first time and I knew about the whole Bon Jovi thing, John's uh, label and all this other stuff and all these connections. But I thought this record was really, really good to this day. I still really love that Blood on the Bricks record. Yeah, it's it's a great record. And Aldo was really proud of it. And then we went on the road, but something happened with the marketing because at the beginning of the tour, the fans were like, oh, we didn't know you had a new record out. We just came here to hear uh, um, Life is Just a Fantasy. But six months in, four singles, three three videos, and people are still going, oh, we didn't know you had a new record out. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, something's going bad. So that ended. And when I got home, I had nothing to do. So Gil invited me to Metalworks again. I said, hey, do you want to do in Triumph? Because we could, we could use you and it'd be awesome. And Gil is an amazing guy. And Mike is an amazing guy. So I just had a, a weird feeling about filling in for a guy like Rick Emmett. So, and, but the, the cool part was that out of the two singers, Rick Emmett and Gil Moore, I loved Gil's songs more than Rick's. Yeah. So I thought, well, at least the voice that I prefer is still in the band. <laughs> well, you know, it's interesting that you, you say you had a, a weird feeling about filling in for a guy like Rick Emmett. What is it about you and filling in for these uh, massive guitar players and singers know, right? in bands? <laughs> no, no it, just, it just became a, a thing in my life. Like, who's next? <laughs> <laughs> so you're a Van Halen dude, right? I'm a Van Halen dude. Right on. So myself as well. I think you and I may have seen the same tour. It just so happens that my first major concert, because I think we're probably real similar in age, my first major concert was the Diver Down tour for me. Oh, see, I saw, two tour- I saw that tour. That was 83 in Toronto, I believe. And But I saw Fair Warning, and the first one was Women and Children First. Wow. And I was 14, and it changed my life. Yeah. Because it was like, you know, Ed, Ed became my favorite guitar player and when I was exposed to that. But it, when I saw him live, it wasn't this guy standing there playing incredible guitar. This guy was playing incredible guitar whilst leaping off the drum riser repeatedly and sprinting across the stage and climbing PA stacks while playing guitar and i was like oh my god this guy's a superhero and then not to mention dave dave was like what a front man but for me what became an important note in my life was i'm still a fan i still go to shows i love rock and roll i have my heroes all my heroes got moves man angus young's got moves jimmy page's got moves all, all the all the rockers nobody stood there so when I go into on stage, I project what I want to see from the audience. So that that became a staple in my life, and and so far it's worked out really really well. But um, you know the, the triumph thing. Getting back to that, it was like a really cool. Um, you know, they really wanted me to do my thing. But as I started throwing in my thing, Mike Levine, who was producing the record, was like, you know, I don't know, I don't know if that thing really can you kind of like tailor that thing so it kind of has our thing in it too and i was like yeah man i I guess i can sure but that prepared me for being doing well in the session world because i became a chameleon and then people ask do you have to go into the studio one day with alice cooper and then the next day you're going in with kelly clarkson you obviously have to approach 
each artist differently. But for me, I don't approach it like it's that artist. I approach, I approach it as what's going to make this song strong. What's going to help sell this song? What's going to complement the vocal? What's going to complement the theme of the lyric? That's how I approach every session. So I kind of approached Triumph like that back then. And then I approached all those artists that I worked with in the studio. And, and to get to around where we are now, that's how I approached playing with Bon Jovi. So I, I guess I made the, the right decision early on. Well, I like the Edge of Excess record. It's a bit heavier for Triumph, and that's okay with me. I mean, you know, I like a lot of the earlier Triumph stuff, but Edge of Excess for me just had sort of, I mean, it had an edge to it, pardon the pun. but And so that's why, I don't know why I missed that album to begin with, but that's sort of my bang zone of rock and roll. I like it a little bit heavier, you know? Yeah, that's awesome. I like the guitar up front. That's what I grew up with. It's funny how um, when, I, when I moved to L.A. in 97, I met a, a guy who was from Buffalo. And I was Phil X, but he only knew me as Phil. We had a friend, a drummer friend, that introduced us. Anyway, so he's like, hey, man, I hear from, you're from Toronto. I'm from Buffalo. So I probably know some of the bands that you played in. And I'm like, oh, okay, well, I was in Nova, and then I was in Triumph. And he goes, wait, were you in Triumph before or after Phil X? <laughs> And I was like, dude, I am Phil X. Oh, my God, that's my favorite Triumph record. And I'm like, what? Yeah, you don't hear that a lot. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, one of the things we do on the show is we like to try to turn people on to new music or stuff that we're discovering. And since we've been doing this show, which we're going on three years, I guess, at this point, but... I've discovered a lot of new stuff that I think is really good, but I've also discovered a lot of stuff that I just missed along the way back in the 80s and 90s, you know? Yeah. I mean, in the, in the 80s, it was so, you know, people talk about the grunge movement ruining, you know, the 80s. But for me, I understand some of that stuff, and it needed to go away. Yeah. Well, the world needed grunge. That was the next step. And we got some of the best vocalists of all time in that movement, which was like Chris Cornell and Lane Staley, great songwriters, great vocalists. For a while there, even being a long-haired, leather-pant-wearing Aldo Nova band member, I thought, man, you could take this song off this Poison record and put it on that Motley Crue record. And you could take this guitar player and put them in that band, and nobody would tell the difference. So it was starting to get a little incestuous in that kind of vibe. And even touring with Alanova and being in a hotel room watching MTV and seeing the man in the box, Alice in Chains video. Yeah. Like, okay, we're done. This is the new thing right here. I recognized it in my hotel room after taking a nap. It was like, you gotta be kidding me. This is stuff. This stuff is insane. Even Aldo walked on stage at Soundcheck and started singing out Man in the Box by Alice in Chains. Yeah. I mean, we were all influenced by it. It was, And then when I got home, my brother's like, have you heard of Pearl Jam? And I'm like, Pearl what? <laughs> and then they took over the world. So it was pretty insane, you know, to be there during that transition. Me, I love my rock and roll to be dangerous. So that's where the drills come in. I think we just did, we did eight shows in March before the whole COVID thing got shut, shut us all down in the UK. And that, Drill's audience came out and rocked with the band. And it was like, 
it was such a great feeling to see that. You know, I mean, last year I played Wembley Stadium in front of 82,000 people with Bon Jovi. And it wasn't the festival. It was Bon Jovi and the local opener. Wow. So that's incredible. Yeah. But nothing stops me from getting into a van <laughs> and, and sharing hotel rooms with Dan and the drills and playing in front of 200 people in the smoky club in uh, England. I just, it's, it's that thing, man. I, I love that I get to do both. I love that. I, I feel blessed that I get to do both. So I'm a, I'm a happy guy when it comes to that. I think that there's a lot of rock stars your current boss, probably one in particular that would love to be able to have the best of both worlds. So I'm sure that they love playing these stadiums and love playing to 70,000 or just an arena of 10,000 or 15,000. But I think that they probably, they grew up cutting their teeth in these clubs. They really miss the intimacy of a 250 or 300 person crowd with uh well i would say smoke but really that's that's not in clubs anymore so just the the smell of beer i guess you know what it is and you know i i hate days off even when i'm on the road with bon jovi i I'll, I'll throw a clinic on a day off at a music store uh or in a theater and um even in um when we were in australia i believe it was 2018 uh right before christmas I went into I went to an open mic night on a Monday night in uh, Adelaide before our show at the park the next night, and I just a friend of mine from Adelaide in LA here he was like, hey, if you want to get up at an open mic night on a Monday night, my friends do this really great thing, and there is a great drummer, is a great bass player. They'll learn anything you want. You can get up and do whatever you want. So I didn't Instagram that I was going to be there, but my fan club did. And it was packed with Bon Jovi fans. And I got up and jammed ACDC and Led Zeppelin and had the time of my life. Nice. And it was the smallest club I'd ever been in. <laughs> it was so fun. But see, I love, but when I do that on that level with the drills and I'm looking in the audience and they're singing my lyrics. Yeah. That fills up a different part of my heart than being on a stadium stage with Bon Jovi. Like my heart is full when it comes to this stuff. So it's, I, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a lucky guy when I get to do all of these things. So, and then even now with red on the money coming out and it couldn't have come out at a, at a better time because I feel like that song represents to me is no matter what's happening, you got to roll with the punches and look on the bright side and feel like it, it could always be worse and just keep your chin up. And even though I wrote that song and recorded it in 2018, I believe it was October, it just made so much sense for it to come out now. And the video, you know, it's to me, it's, it, I think it's, I don't want to say I'm bringing danger back to rock, but I think I'm helping. So it's having all these fans sing the chorus and be in the video. And the way we went into that song was we had never played it before. And here we are recording it with Chris Lord Algae at Capitol Records, Room B in Hollywood. We don't know what's happening in the bridge. We know the bridge is going to happen. What happens after the bridge? And that's when Chris Lord Algae walked in and he said, dude, what if instead of after this heavy section, 
you instead of going into a solo or a bridge, we just have a drum break and let this whole track breathe and then build into the next section. And that's what we ended up doing. And the guitar that you hear and the solo that you hear and the drums and the bass that you hear is exactly what we recorded on the floor that day. There was no touch-ups or punch-ins or fix-ups or anything like that. And to me, that's what makes rock and roll dangerous. And you feel this urgency that isn't present when you just walk in and record to the grid on Pro Tools and you know copy and paste chorus sections and stuff like that. That's what's kind of ruining rock these days for me. Yeah, so let's listen to the new song, Right on the Money. Let's check this tune out right now, so crank it up.
the latest song right on the money the song reminds me personally the intro riff reminds me a little bit of Aerosmith's moving out are you familiar with that tune at all you're the second person to tell me that are you familiar with that early uh Aerosmith tune yeah well I, I made myself familiar with it when somebody mentioned it last week what do you think that very beginning part it doesn't sound exactly like it. It reminds me of it. Right. It's not somebody playing a perfect guitar part. It's somebody playing guitar with just instinct and dangerous rock and roll. Yeah, it has the spirit of that song and, and total spirit. Yeah, I mean it's a, it's fantastic. I mean, if you're gonna if you're gonna be influenced by somebody, why not early Aerosmith? Jesus. Totally. <laughs> I know you're an ACDC and a Van Halen fan. Are you an Aerosmith fan? I love Aerosmith, man. I saw them play last year at a residency in uh, Las Vegas. Yeah. And uh, it was great. And Steven Tyler, he's he's still like, he's got to be the best front man still. And he's 71 or 72 now. <laughs> he sings his ass off. There are singers out there that can't hit notes anymore. And they say, oh, it's the age of getting old. I'm like, fucking Steven Tyler, dude. What? Yeah. Sammy Hanks can still hit those notes. Have you heard Derek St. Holmes? Lately? Yeah, he sounds great. And have you heard Glenn Hughes lately? Glenn Hughes is another one. He's hitting the astronomically stratospheric notes that nobody else can hit. I saw Glenn Hughes last year do the Deep Purple uh, burn record front to back, and I was floored. Wow. Wait, did he just sing or play bass too? No, he sang and played bass. Oh, my God. I mean, it was it was phenomenal, dude. He is phenomenal. So phenomenal. So the fifth album, which I understand is done, is called Stupid Good Looking Volume 2, correct? Yes, sir. Uh, now, is um, Right on the Money on that record, or is it something separate? It's its own uh, standout single. Okay. So I know you had a host of drummers playing on this record. Yeah. One thing to note is that Brent Fitz, or Fitzy as I refer to him, is the drummer in the drills. And Brent is sort of like the drumming version of you, meaning meaning he plays with all kinds of people. So he's uh, Brent gets around as well. He really does. I'll tell you why this is a standout single, because Brent played on this song, and he also played on uh, I Want My Money Back. He's the money guy. Uh, I Want My Money Back on Volume 1. So I didn't want Volume 2 to have any repeat drummers, because we have so much in the can. We have like another eight or nine or 10 drummers that if I would have repeated one, then it, it would have put me in an awkward space afterwards. So it's six new drummers on this volume two. We are going to release a single in the next two months just to keep the momentum going. And then hopefully volume two will come out. And I have to mention it's coming out on Golden Robot Records. 
right on the money came out on that label as well. So that's coming out. We're hoping in the fall, if not right before Christmas, because we're just in mix mode right now. Chris Lord Algae mixed volume one, and we wanted him to mix volume two because we thought it came out so great. It's just, you know, why break up the team? So, um, yeah, I'm excited about it happening this year. What was this crazy situation? Yeah, it's awesome. So the drills are a trio. What is it with Canadians and trios, man? Can't you guys find a fourth guy that wants to be in a band with three other dudes in Canada? I know you're not in Canada currently. Dude, man, Rush, Rush is one of the best things to ever happen in Canada. Rush, Triumph. Now the drills. Now the drills. And with Brent, we're all Canadian. <laughs> yeah, I know, exactly. I know that. So let me ask you one question before I let you get out of here, because I know we don't have too much time, but I had this question in mind, which is, you're a Bon Jovi fan before you were ever in the band, correct? Yes. First time you ever saw them live. Do you remember that? Yes. I bought my tickets and took my girlfriend to see the New Jersey tour in Toronto at the CNE Grandstand that isn't even there anymore. <laughs> now, I'm sure you're a rocker like myself. I'm sure that you're aware that there are clearly two different factions of Bon Jovi fans. There's the early big hair rock fans that enjoy the more guitar-oriented stuff and the fans that came on board with the ballads and then the more adult contemporary stuff that came along the way. Yes, if you could talk John into bringing any two songs into the set from those first four Bon Jovi records, what would they be? I have my personal favorites, but I, I want to hear from you. I think I'm bringing Let It Rock. Yeah. And I think I'm bringing, oh man, I don't know. That's a tough one. Because you know what's crazy? What I did learn about Bon Jovi is that See, in the U.S., the big records were New Jersey and, uh, and Slippery When Wet. But when you go over to Europe, their favorite record is These Days. Really? Yeah. But it's got some rockers on there, too, man. Like, I had to learn Hey God. Hey God's a great song. And we only played it twice. And I wish, I know it's not on Slippery, and I know it's not on New Jersey, but I wish we were doing that tune. Sit down, I'm not so raisin', but the world got in the way. Hey, God, 
to the ghetto 1991 just to have a child playing Need the summer sun Vacant lots of playground My 12 has got a gun The odds are better against them Junior don't make 21 Hey guy Tell me what the hell is going on It seems like all the good shit's gone It keeps on getting harder hanging out Hey, 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 hey guy It's not you know
Man, I'll tell you what. I saw Bon Jovi on the 7,800 Degrees tour opening for Rat. That's the first time I saw Bon Jovi. Oh, my God. And, and, and it's funny how uh, sometime later they switched roles, right? It was Rat opening for Bon Jovi after uh, Slippery When Wet came out. I would go back to the first two albums and dig deep. I don't care whether anybody knows them or not. So I'm bringing back Get Ready from the first album and Tokyo Road from the from the 7800 degree. We get a lot of requests for that. For Tokyo Road? Tokyo Road, yeah. I think they opened up with that on the 7800 tour. That's crazy. I'm going to go have to I'm going to have to go look at some YouTube, man. It's fun stuff, man. They were they were unbelievable back then when they were opening for Rat. I really was blown away by their stage show. They were so good. Yeah. But hey, man, it's been awesome talking to you. You too, Stephen. Thank you. Get ready to shuffle, rattle, and roll. Play us out, boys.
Please make sure you subscribe to our podcast, Growing Up Rock, and leave us a review on iTunes. Give us a like and leave us a comment on Facebook at Growing Up Rock. Hey, man, this is Phil X. I have a band called The Trills and a day gig called Bon Jovi. I'm just kidding. I can't do that. <laughs> it's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. Fantasy Points.